This episode of Radio Techers is brought to you in part by Trip Surfer Vacations. Travel is opening up again, and we know you're ready to go. Trip Surfer Vacations has great all-inclusive packages for your next beach vacation and all the info you need to know about your next trip. So whether you're headed to the Cancun, Cozumel, Cabo, or the Caribbean, Trip Surfer Vacations has you guys covered. We even have partnerships for European adventures as well. So we know you're ready to go. Visit TripSurferVacations.com and let them know that Radio Techers sent you. Y'all have fun out there. And welcome once again to the Doctor Who pod with Cy and Dan. The last, I suppose, TV episode of season one for our show, Dan. Because obviously next week we're looking at the movie to conclude our first season. So yeah, the last, I suppose, uh, serial TV story that we're covering in our first season. Quite exciting, quite exciting. Uh, My partner in time as we are bouncing back and forth through the, well, God knows, decades worth of television and a crazy movie that I've not seen yet, is, as always, <laughs> Mr. Dan Griffin. How are we, sir? I'm not too bad, all things considered. I was expecting to be a lot more hungover, and as I was saying just before we started recording, I went to, uh, I had a night at the death matches last night, wrestling-wise. Uh, spent the evening inhaling uh, inhaling fluorescent light tube dust, and uh, not, not voluntarily. Uh, it's not some sort of weird drug thing. Uh, it just happens when, <laughs> when there's lines of glass. <laughs> just happens when dozens have been smashed over people's heads, and from all the whooping and hollering and cheering, my uh, my voice was shot last night. So, but unfortunately for you, I'm back. I'm in good shape, and I'm ready to rock and roll. Even though I only finished uh, recording this three minutes after we were supposed to have started recording. That's fair enough. That's fair enough. Yeah, I watched this I... very late in the day as well. I've had a busy afternoon. Uh, I was watching a bit of Quantum Leap, then recording an episode of The Waiting Room, and then I watched this, ready to sit down with yourself. And of course, tomorrow, I mean, it's not, we don't announce these things but ahead of time, normally. We put a tweet out maybe tomorrow afternoon or something like that. But by the time this show comes out, it would have already happened. Tomorrow, you will be guest hosting Chain Wrestling with me. Yeah, my first live chain wrestling. What could possibly go wrong? What could go wrong? <laughs> at least we've got. The, at least on this show, we've got the safety net where I can cut out anything stupid we say. <laughs> you, you never know? do, but you. you I, I don't know, but <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. If you're listening to the Doctor Who pod this week uh, and you have missed the live version on the Monday night of Chain Wrestling, where Dan is joining me to fill in for the always brilliant Mister Mags as he's he's away again. Uh, the podcast version comes out Wednesday morning, so have a little listen to that, check that out, and let us know what you think. But that is a different show. That is a different time. This is the Doctor Who pod, and this is looking at travelling through time. As mentioned when we first started the show, this is the last episode of season one looking at a TV serial. 
It's the last episode of season one of the Doctor Who pod looking at a classic Who episode as we go into the movie next week to conclude our first season. I mean, I never look at the movie as new Who or classic Who. I just kind of look at it as the movie kind of in between. That's a generous viewpoint, to be fair, because most people look at it as the uh, as sort of the the unwanted, like, I was going to say bastard child, but that's maybe a bit harsh. A lot of people view the movie as, as a complete abomination. Uh, those people are wrong. Uh, I like it, but okay. then I've got very rose-tinted glasses. So I'll, I'll freely admit to my bias. <laughs> and uh, I, I honestly I can't wait to hear what you think of it, because it, it is so polarising. It's going to be interesting, and I'm I'm amazed, honestly, that I've I've still not not seen it before. You know, obviously now when we started this project, I purposely avoided watching it to get mm. to this point. But uh, in my life, I mean, in general, up to now, having not seen it before, it's one of those things of okay, it's worked out really well for what we're doing with the show. But as a Doctor Who fan, I'm a bit like, huh, that is odd. Yeah, it's odd, but it's a lot of people would look at it and just go, oh, "Well, you're lucky. <laughs> You've done yourself a service." Uh, see, it's, it's interesting. I'm gonna watch I'm, it. I'm, I'm really torn between wanting you to love it, so okay. we can just have part of this podcast where we're both saying, "Yeah, I'm saying how fantastic it is," because I've got a feeling they'll be pretty rare. Or <laughs> wanting you to hate it just so we can have a bit of a row. Right. Okay. It's gonna be interesting. It's gonna be interesting. My plan is my plan is to watch it, not take any notes or anything, and just watch it in, in one hit, as you would just normally watch a film, yeah. and then come nearer the time we record, watch it again, and make notes. Mm. To see if, see like if you know how I feel along like a second watch back and so on as well. So it's going to be interesting. But that is next week. That is next week. This week we are in 1984. Well, as as a viewer, we were in 1984. The Doctor is not 1984. He's he's elsewhere, different time, different place. He's in Androzani for the caves of Androzani. Yeah. A four-parter that first broadcast on the 8th of March, 1984. In, it was, again, this was a time when they were broadcasting twice weekly. So you'd have two episodes a week. So the four episodes were blitzed through within a fortnight. And obviously Peter Davidson is the Doctor here for basically the last time. And we have Perry as his companion. This story I watched probably the first time I got BritBox. So going back away. I watched mm. it and thought, this is bloody fantastic. I watched it back today, and I was probably a little bit more confused with the plot than I was today than the first time I watched it, oddly. <laughs> it's, it's, it's intricate. Yes. I think it is the, is the, the best way to describe it. Some people may call it convoluted, but it's the, the sort of levels to it and the layers mm. of, of sort of who's betraying who, who's working with who, who's... Um, and, and the miscommunications and misinterpretations of, of who's working for who are very interesting. Yeah. If you've got the time and the brain power to to sort of pay full attention. Yeah, lots of levels, isn't there? Lots of sort of little swerves and turns along the way. So yeah. we'll, we'll get into well, that shortly. But, anyway. before, but before we get into that, because we're, doing, we're finally doing Peter Davison, mm-hmm. I get to break out a convoluted, intricate uh, connection between Peter Davidson and David Tennant, which a lot of people probably know. Okay. So David Tennant, the 10th who played the 10th Doctor, married Georgia Moffat. Yep. Georgia Moffat played the Doctor's daughter, uh, while David Tennant was the Doctor. And Georgia Moffat is Peter Davidson's daughter. Mm-hmm. And he was obviously the 5th Doctor. And she also used to go to school with Colin Baker's daughter. 
Oh, wow, that bit I didn't know. Yeah. And then George Moffat and David Tennant have had a daughter. So the Doctor's daughter played the Doctor's daughter in the Doctor's daughter, was friends with the Doctor's daughter, and then had the Doctor's daughter. <laughs> that's brilliant. And that's getting clipped as well. <laughs> that is fantastic. I'm just, I'm just amazed I managed to reel that off the, uh, the first time. Yeah. No, why? That's, that's, that's really strange. That's brilliant. Okay. As we always do with these, these sort of lookbacks on different eras and different times, we take in the intro and the slight variables to the music and so on. Uh, what did you think, Dan? I'm, I'm assuming you've seen... Well, you told me you've seen The Five Doctors before, so you would have seen this intro before. But looking now as, as you know the intro to an actual serial, an actual Peter Davidson story, what are your thoughts? Just because I've seen it before doesn't mean I remember it. Fair enough. <laughs> um, I liked it. I liked uh, Davidson's face coming together... Uh, and the logo coming together through, uh, you know, through stars and what is it, sort of flying through space and the odd flashes of colour. I liked the uh, the logo style. It was sort of that pared back, simplified mm-hmm. sort of thing that that always gets me. I think they could have had a better picture of Peter Davison. He kind of he looks a little bit lost and clueless. Like he's just yeah. sort of happy to be there. He, he reminded me of Dougal from Father Ted. <laughs> you know, when you just see him stood there, he's, you see he's got a smile on his face. And he's he's just sort of happy to be along, but he's got no idea what's going on. Yeah, I just I got that vibe from that picture of Peter Davison. I don't know why. And then it, it's a pretty simple intro. It's, it's obviously paired back, um, especially in terms of the music to the last episode. But I think in that respect, less is more. Mm. Okay. Yeah. So overall, okay. overall liked it. Yeah, good intro for me. It- <laughs> watching this back today made me realize that this is probably my favorite intro we've covered. Yeah. Yeah. And it purely comes from a nostalgia standpoint. The five doctors was a VHS tape I had. My, my friend was the one who had all the videotapes, as we mentioned on the show quite a few times, that I'd watched classic who and so on around his house. Mm. But the five doctors was actually bought for me for Christmas one year by my aunt. Um, at the same year that she bought me SummerSlam 89, which I often reference back to on wrestling podcasts I do. And the video just got worn out. It was the, it was the one Doctor Who tape I had for quite a while. So this intro is is like, even though Peter Davidson, I suppose, wasn't officially my Doctor because of my age means I was watching a bit later. It it feels like this is my intro. It feels like this is my, my time frame because of how much I watched the Five Doctors special on that VHS tape, if that makes sense. It's ingrained into your brain at yes. this point and, and part of it like this and just part of your history. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, one thing that. I want to touch upon before we get into the story properly, I guess, is the companion, the, the character of Perry. We saw Perry in the Colin Baker story that we covered a few episodes ago here on the Doctor Who pod. And we were a little bit like, okay, well, let's see what she has to offer alongside a different Doctor because, you know, the, the Colin Baker story wasn't the greatest let's be honest so we see perry here for the second time on the doctor pod alongside peter davidson uh are your as your thoughts on the character of perry changed at all Dan? um not a vast amount okay because perry had a moment of sort of badassery in the last in the last one we covered um there were times where she felt a bit of a spare part but that was more down to the writing and, and the direction than anything else the main thing that changes here is, is perry feels like a much more endearing character because she's got a much better, a much better chemistry with mm. this version of the Doctor. Because I, I went through so with the first one, I went through phases of liking Perry, and then she's taking digs. But then that Doctor was a dick, so he kind of deserved it, and it was all very, 
all very muddled in my yeah. in my mind. Uh, this one, yeah, I've got I've gotten out against Perry in this one. Um, it's a bit more damsel in distressy uh, yeah. towards the end, not in a so not not in a tropey way. The, it's done in that an accident happens. Both the doctor and Perry get sick. Yes, they're both on the verge of dying, but the doctor's time lord physiology enables him to sort of plow through it for a little bit longer. So it's it's you know it's not Perry presented as the you know the weak and feeble oh save me doctor sort of thing. It's Perry she's still trying to fight a disease while being while trying to fight the advances of the, the villain that we'll get to. Mm-hmm. So it really, she has a lot to deal with. And that yeah. it's it's that sort of version of things where the, the the damsel in distress thing becomes a lot more palatable. Yeah, I mean, there's a reason for her to be that way, I guess, isn't there? It's not just it's well thought out. Yeah, yeah, it's not just a companion screaming at the sight of an alien or something, is it? It's it's there's actually issues. I mean, literally in the first episode, that within within minutes they're captured and they're going to be executed. Yeah. So straight away, there's you know, <laughs> there's no messing about, is there? Let's be honest. So because I guess it, sorry, we're saying about the levels to the story as well. So much in this episode of of the wider world goes completely tonto and goes completely mad. Yes, and people go off the rails purely because the Doctor and Perry happen to be in the wrong place at the wrong time. Yeah, it's, it is literally that. That isn't it's it's a bad coincidence. Yeah, and it's kind of it, it's, this whole serial is like a um, a representation of the butterfly effect. Mm-hmm. You know, butterfly flaps its wings somewhere, and that chain of events leads to a hurricane on the other side of the world. Yeah, the Doctor and Perry turn up at Andrazani, decide to follow some tracks and have a look in a cave. Holy shit! They're in the, they're going to get executed. They're in the middle of a war. They're in <laughs> drug runners or gun runners and all this insanity. Mm. Yeah. And it does escalate very, very quickly, doesn't it? I mean, if anything, this is a four-parter. There's always something going on. There's always different uh, different plot lines interweaving all the way through the four parts. If anything, and I've, I've not said this, I don't think, before on, on the Doctor Who pod, this could maybe have done with an extra 25 minutes just to slow it down here and there for me to take in what's going on. Yeah, quite possible. Because I watched, I watched the, the, the last three parts of this Mm-hmm. Uh, in a row while trying to make spread because I didn't have a right lot of time so I've not gone into my usual sort of in my usual in-depth detail yeah. on the notes and, and whatnot and it was just boom 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 done which is and great fact, from an action standpoint oh yeah it definitely kept my attention we've used the phrase meandering quite a lot um, with some of the uh, some of the classicos there was none of that here but there's one particular point that I hope I remember I'll get to because a few weeks back I said I was going to come to a point about the Weeping Angels and I never did. Um, <laughs> so hopefully I'll get to it where you're right, it would have, it could have just done with a 15, 20 extra minutes just to tie up a loose end and, and explain things a little bit better. Yeah. But as it is, I'm not got a. I'd rather it had. I'd rather it be on this side of the balance because this is it's it's well paced. There's always something happening. It never. You never feel completely lost. No. There's a lot going on, and you know the stuff that's going to sort of be unveiled as the serial goes along. But you never feel like, you never sat there going, what? You never sat there, what's going on? Like we did with Colin Baker. Yeah. Yeah, totally. 
uh, 100% on board with that. I mean, we start off basically where, well, back in familiar territory, I suppose, the TARDIS materialises in what looks like a quarry. So uh, <laughs> that's an old favourite of the Doctor Who pod. The TARDIS materialises in what looks like a quarry. But they've gone to the effort of adding in a skyline and a couple of other bits and they use some stock footage of Monument Valley in Utah, I believe, to uh, yeah. to make it look alien. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, the gist of it, I'm not 100% sure how much came across in the episode itself, but the gist of it, apparently, in the original story was the Doctor wanted to go to Androzani because he had a glass bottle collection or a glass figure collection that he made when he was a child. Right. And the Androzani bottle or model has got broken so he's had to travel to Androzani to collect certain minerals or certain sands or whatever to reproduce the glass now this serial this four-part serial was being made in the midst in the midst of uh, writing strikes and production strikes and all this sort of stuff going on so certain aspects of the story had to get cut and that the first scene in this story was supposed to be the Doctor talking to Perry about these models and so on, and as to mm. why they had to go to Androzani in the first place. And that actually got cut from the actual episode one. So we just see them arrive, walk out into this quarry, and I'm thinking, yeah, you look around, there's not a lot going on. But the Doctor's like, oh, let's just go over here, and then the shit hits the fan. There's no real explanation <laughs> as to why they're there. So that when I read that back earlier on, that does make a little bit more sense in my head. Yeah, it was sort of the first thing that, that got me. It was like, Perry's, you know, when you say, oh, you promised me a beach, you know, the tide yeah. must be out. And the doctor's there saying, oh, it's been billions of years since there was a sea on Androzani Minor. And uh, it's just like, well, well, why are you there then? Yeah. And Apparently they, it was for this purpose of get, of getting some stuff to replace a broken model he had. Which is very Doctor-like. And yeah. I could completely <laughs> see that with Peter Davidson <laughs> as well. But... I mean, I'll give it some credit. There was a real nice wide shot showing the uh, the tracks and the TARDIS and all that. That's something mm. we've not really encountered in uh, in Doctor Who. But yeah, it just well, looking back, it did lack. It lacked a, a premise for them being there. Yeah, and it would have, for the sake of thirty seconds, just say, "Oh yeah, I want to go get. I need to go get minerals from whatever. Mm-hmm. We're heading to we're heading to the beach. Yeah, we're heading. You know, we're heading to the sand or something like that. Perry gets all excited and then. She, and then it makes sense why she's having a whinge. Yeah, that's right. And it is basically what you've explained there is how I understand the scene to have been before it mm. was cut because of you know they hadn't necessarily got around to filming all of that or the serial had to be broken up in a different way potentially. So yeah, yeah. to me that 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 is a little plot hole right at the beginning as to why are they bothering to go there. That yeah. is, is there right at the beginning. But when I looked into it, I kind of understand why we didn't know. I guess. Mm. I mean, I suppose the other thing as well, if you're being generous to it, you can just say it's kind of unique in that we've sort of come into the story at that point in that the Doctor and Perry know what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Maybe we'll find out later on and it'll be yeah. it'll become obvious. It doesn't, but if you're being generous, yeah. <laughs> I will. And again, I've got to give Perry some credit. She throws in the first bit of wee-woo beep-boop. Okay. Because the, the marvelling, they find this... Uh, what they think is glass, but it's fused silica, and it's mm-hmm. from it, the sand's been fused by the rocket pods of a spacecraft, and all the rest of it. And speculating, and why is that? How you know why has that happened? And Perry says maybe someone wanted some sand to make some glass so they could blow a new vacuum tube for their reticular vector gauge. Which yeah. you know that, that, that was my first instinct. Yeah, um, of course. Maybe actually that's a reference back to what the Doctor is doing potentially. 
Yeah, it could be because it's talking about blowing glass and yeah. stuff like that, making you know making bottles, etc. So yeah, maybe. But yeah, maybe. yeah, I just I just like that. Yeah. Uh, and then I, and then I was a was a very very childish because the doctor finds the tracks and said that somebody went in and out on a mono skid, and I just laughed at the word skid. Because <laughs> 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 it's well documented, I have the mentality of a child. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> Andrazani Minor is the only source of this this substance that helps i suppose give you everlasting life or give you more youth and so on called spectrox it's a drug it's it's the only source where this thing can be found and the people who live on the neighboring planet of androzani major are very dependent on having this drug to keep themselves young and alive and so on aren't they dan yeah, Andros Townsend did indeed find the Fountain of Youth. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but they don't actually tell us that until, I think, episode three? Yeah, that's right. Of the serial, which was quite a revelation. I quite like that. Um, it was just like, oh, wow, okay. So it's, you've, had, you've had the gun runners. You've had, you know, the, the when the stats talked about the mudslides and all of that. And, yeah, it just adds another layer to it. Really good. Yeah, and that's basically the premise of it. They're... <laughs> I suppose, I suppose the, the story in general is the Doctor and, and Perry have arrived. They've stumbled across this kind of ongoing battle between the character of Morgus, who is very high up, very well off, uh, controller of the majority of the mines for getting this substance. And then they have the, the secondary, um, I suppose, villain of the piece called Sharaz Jack, who used to work with... Morgus, they had a falling out. He ended up effectively living now in the caves, building robots on his own, like a little sad, melted-faced weirdo. And he's also a heavily, you know, he was disfigured in an accident and clearly has a lot of, uh, a lot of, a lot of psychological issues that that bring. And also, yeah, okay. it, it does feel like they've tried to do like a, a, a spacey version of Phantom of the Opera. Yeah, you probably but more, but, explain but more that creepy. You explained that a lot better than me just saying melty faced weirdo, I suppose. <laughs> 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 oh, dear. Yeah, so there's, there's a battle between the two because Sharaz Jack has control of certain areas of the caves and the mines with his android army he has built. And this is causing the price of Spectrox to rise because there's less of it getting through to the planet. So, you know, in a weird way, the the opponent for Sharaz Jack Morgus is better off because he's selling less product for more money. Yeah. And there's this war going on. But the longer the war goes on, the more rich Morgus becomes because he owns what's coming through. He's also, as we find out later on, supplying Sharaz Jack's um, gun runners with with weaponry to use and so on. So there's so many different layers and twists in this story, Dan, isn't there? Yeah, so we're saying about the, the sort of the intricacy and the levels to this, it's mm. it really is good because we just we get introduced to Morgus first, and he's another in a long line of very good bastards from Classic Who. Yeah. He's obviously very officious. He doesn't really care what's happening to people. As long as he gets his way and gets his money, he's happy. And that's sort of bad enough. But over time, like you say, we see this developer. He's, 
him and the uh, the president of um, Andrazani, uh, Major, are uh, sort of taking thinly veiled digs at each other because they know they both need each other, mm. but then but the president knows he's a duplicitous dick weasel. Yeah, yeah. He's very slimy, and he's just really unlikable, isn't he? Yeah, and then you find out he's also supplying Jack, and it's just like, oh, for God's sake, just when you couldn't think, just when you thought he couldn't be more of a bastard, it just gets taken up a notch when you realise he's effectively playing both sides and, and reaping the benefits from every angle. Yeah, and he's very, I suppose, very cold as well. I mean, I, I get the feeling as we're talking about this, because there are so many intricate details to this story to sort of try and explain it. I suppose scene by scene, as we have done in previous stories, might prove a bit tricky. So it, the way we're just discussing it in general, I feel, is the way we're going to end up going forward on this episode, yeah. which we've done in the past, and, and I quite enjoyed Dan. So uh, what you find here is he ends up killing certain people that are close to him as well. Mm. Uh, Morgus, sorry, the character. And it's done with an incredible coldness, an incredible, oh, well. I mean, there's a moment where eventually he kills off the president. Mm. That was done incredibly cold, incredibly nastily. But Push, it really pushes him down an elevator shaft. Exactly, yes. But he turns then to his assistant, the lady assistant he has, and goes, Oh, yeah, there was a fault with the elevator, so execute the, the maintenance guy who works on the elevator shafts. Just a throwaway comment, but that's somebody's life. That's just you know, that's killing yeah. someone off, just to, you know. To cover to cover his own ass. Yeah. He's utterly, utterly ruthless. It's and that is on some levels, it's it's sickening of and frightening because you know a character like that. What level won't they stoop to? Yeah, it's, it's exactly. awful. And then you've got, but then on the other side, you've got um, that that sort of attitude seems to permeate through what what little we learn of of Andrazani society because you get Chelak, or at least in the military. Sorry, not maybe not maybe not society, but in in the military. Chelak's like that as well, mm-hmm. except he's not as smart as, as Morgus, but he's just happy to, later on, when he realises he's accidentally executed a couple of androids, Yeah, he's quite happy to allude to executing the only other low-ranking officer who saw it happen. Yes. So it's obviously a culture that's fostered in there, you know, in there even though he, um, Morgus is, is you know, a private businessman, and Chelak's military, they're obviously in close working in close quarters because of the um oh what's it called? I forgot what that stuff's called now. Oh, Spectrox. Spectrox, because the Spectrox situation. And it's just like, wow, okay, this, this is just Andrazani thing. It's if somebody's in, now inconveniency off off the pot. Yeah, very cold, very you know, very shallow existence, isn't it? Yeah, that yeah, that's a great word. That's a great way to term actually shallow existence. Yeah, mm-hmm. definitely. And it actually it plays into because um, I've read a couple of books by Isaac Asimov, who's regarded as sort of the godfather of sci-fi. He, okay. he produced like the the three laws of robotics and stuff like that. And in uh, in a couple of his books, the, the sort of dystopian future where we've got these huge like domed mega cities where people rarely see the sun and all that and the whole of society has become very insular and you sort of, you know you just head down do your job if you if you become sort of not not burden but if, if you become unuseful then you you pay the price and you know societally you get downgraded and stuff like that it's it really made me I'd, I'd be surprised if that wasn't a um an influence 
Yeah, okay, potentially. It sounds very similar to the whole Androzani vibe, doesn't it? Yeah, although I will have to check and see which uh, see which one actually came first. But that's yeah, a, okay. that's a thing for another day. I, I've, there's a good chance I may have just made myself sound a complete dick, but whatever. It's fine. <laughs> you, mentioned, <laughs> you mentioned Chalak as well, who is one of the earlier characters we see. I mean, effectively, you know, to set the scene, the, the Doctor and Perio, they go into these caves and they have a little look around. They both fall into this stuff that looks kind of like cobwebs crossed with candy floss, I guess. Yeah. yeah, and that's the Spectrox nest, apparently. Which I don't, I don't understand what, unless they're just referring to the, the sort of the, the, for the lack of a better word, webbiness. Mm. Um, they call it a Spectrox nest. Yeah, but then we find out that it's produced by these bats that live mm-hmm. in the caves. So, the, is it like guano? I don't are know. They, I mean, are they, are they existing on bat shit? <laughs> they reference the the, the spectrox. That'd explain why the bat shit mental, actually. Yeah, it would. It would for a good point. That that would explain. They, they explain the spectrox. Uh, they, well, at one stage, somebody says to the doctor when they see the rash and and the side effects that the doctor is talking about. Because effectively, Perry and the doctor they fall into this stuff, and it, for want of a better term, infects them. I guess it. Yeah. It makes them poorly. They're having a reaction to this this stuff. And there's a character later on who asks the doctor outright, have you been messing around with raw Spectrox? Because he has seen this before. So maybe that stuff that they fell into is like the unmined or untreated stuff. Yeah, And that gets turned into the drug. Yeah, that is exactly what it is. Um, And that character was uh, Salatine. Yes, the two of them. (laughs) Yeah, two of them. Because again, the levels to the show, Salatine... Is one of um, you know one of the high-ranking um, officers, but he's been uh, the real Salatine's been abducted by Shara's Jack and replaced with an android. Yes, um, but the guy who plays Salatine has another Doctor connection. Uh, connection uh, is a fellow called Robert Glenister. He's mm-hmm. been in things like uh, Hustle and Spooks and a couple of bits like that. But in 2020, in a Jodie Whittaker episode, he played right. Thomas in Nikola Tesla's Night of Terror. He played Thomas Edison. Oh my god, yes. I can see it. Yeah, that's him. And that's like, you know, really, really recent as well. <laughs> Two years ago. Yeah. Yeah. I um I looked at him and I was looking at him and I recognise his face. I know him from somewhere, brought it up, boom, there it was, like fifth wow. credit down on IMDB. And that he plays cool. a good part as well because as the Android, he's very sort of stiff and and, and military, actually, you know, mm. he's he's they're very pragmatic, very practical. It's kind of android-like, I guess. Yeah, but nobody notices because it's in that military environment. And they expect mm-hmm. that, obviously, expect that from Salatine himself. But then later on, when you find him in in Shara's Jack's lair, I suppose, for lack of a better word, yeah, he's got this. He's obviously been confined for a very long time, and he just he's, he actually starts laughing that they've been poisoned. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and that they're effectively going to die. It gives these gruesome, these gruesome information on how they're going to die. You know, it starts off with the rash and, and something else. I didn't have time to write them down. And then eventually you you just burn up and yeah. effectively roast from the inside out. Sounds fantastic. 
Yeah, sounds well, it sounds like uh, I felt this morning waking up in a warm house with a hangover. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> uh, yeah, basically we we have we have the Doctor and Perry there. They're infected with this stuff. They're then captured by uh, gun runners, uh, soldiers, and so on. There's all these different groups running around in the caves. They're yeah. captured by a group of soldiers, taken to Chalak, who is the the commanding officer, who just comes across a lot of the time like he's pretty bloody dumb he's not yeah. he must have fluked his way up the ranks because this guy's a dumbass he goes from ruthless military leader on first sight to does this guy actually know what he's doing mm-hmm. and a lot of the time i don't think he does i got quite big black adder vibes from him like sometimes he comes across <laughs> really clever and then other, other times it's like nah, that ain't gonna work pal you know yeah, it's another little nitpick I have because because overall I, I really enjoyed this, but there are a couple of things it's like, mm. and one of them is that that Chelak seemed to be whatever the plot needed him to be at any given point. Yeah, so there was there wasn't a lot of consistency in his character. One minute he's the military, the hard ass military leader. He's you know he's he's he's, he's fully behind the cause. Then he's for no reason that he fully explains he's fully on board with the doctor and understands it but he's still going to kill him and then he's incompetent and then he's willing to murder people again just to cover his own ass and then he's you know he's on the battlefield and he's he's a hero it's either you can either view it as an inconsistent character and bad writing or you can just look at him and go well that means he's a complex individual but it doesn't come across that way no he doesn't come across complex at all does he He's, he's a bit of a simpleton, I think. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but ultimately, the, he, the, the Doctor and Perry have been captured and they're being readied for execution. There's no messing around here, is there? They're not, they're not wasting oh, no. time. They're just like, okay, we've got these two. They look like they are working for Jack. They look like they're potentially part of the, his gun-running crew. So we're just going to have them shot. So uh, this is arranged very, very quickly. In the meantime, though, we're seeing that Jack has cameras bloody everywhere. He's watching all sorts, isn't he, this fella? He's like the guy in that film Sliver with Sharon Stone. He's got cameras everywhere, you know? <laughs> it's a perverse paradise. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and he, he's watching this, and he's uh, literally over the screen, fallen in love with Perry, and keeps touching the screen and calling her beautiful and saying he must have the beauty with him and so on. And then we <laughs> see the Doctor and Perry... It'd fit into into certain dark, disgusting corners of of the internet with the bloody incels, wouldn't it? Yeah, probably, mate, probably. (laughs) We see the Doctor and Perry at the end of episode one, basically led out, stood there with the the red cloak that they hung over their heads, which apparently is a military execution on Andrasani. And on that, fair enough, it's a nice little addition to the the world and all the rest of it. But they couldn't have used the time that they used for that to explain why they were there. Mm. You know, put, putting a hood on someone for an execution, fair enough, it's normally reserved for the executioner, but it it's, a, it's obviously a ritual. It's obviously part of something you don't need to explain that. You, it, it could just be left alone. But yeah. One thing I do like is when they ask for a last declaration and the doc says, we're innocent, we've had no trial, this is a mockery of justice. Perry says to just get on with it. Oh, yes, Perry. <laughs> exactly, mate. Exactly, it's good. No, for, no uh, fear. Fuck them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And basically then, they, they get gunned down and the music hits. And that's the end of episode one. And I'm thinking, 
what a bloody fantastic cliffhanger because it looks like yeah. it looks like there's literally no way out of this for the doctor we've we've not physically seen them be shot but we have seen them get chained to these posts and then the guns all blazing yeah brilliant and just a couple of other things uh, sort of notable things on on this episode before i get to mm-hmm. the cliffhanger um something that i've always wondered and never found out until i watched this was about the stick of celery in his lapel yes yes i got a note about this as well i, I was but, like oh my god the doctor explained the celery it gets all defensive though at first Do- she asks you says doctor why do you wear a stick of celery in your pelvis? Goes, does it offend you mm-hmm. it's just a question dickhead calm down yeah um and she's you know she's just curious it's a safety precaution he's allergic to certain gases you know a bit of wee wee beep boop I'm allergic to certain gases in the, pra- the praxis range of the spectrum. So this, if the gases are present, the celery turns purple. She says, then what do I eat the celery? If nothing else, I'm sure it's good for my teeth. <laughs> <laughs> That's a very sort of flippant, like humorous doctor way to uh, to explain something that's effectively going to keep them alive. Mm. <laughs> and it's a yeah. nice bit of foreshadowing as well. And they do this a couple of times. Not like in the Colin Baker thing where, you know, it's going... Haley's Comet, disaster, disaster, wow, wow. Just yeah, like hitting you over the head with it, yeah. Yeah. So they say the celery thing, that comes up later on. Um, what was the other bit? Oh, when, when they're just sort of casually talking about the um, the planet having a core of molten mud instead of lava and, you know, uh, the blowholes and, and the, the eruptions that happen from time to time and the tide coming in, it's like, you know, they're just going, that's definitely going to happen. Yeah, some, yeah. We're not talking about this mud just on the off chance, are we? Yeah, but it's not, again, it's not smacked over the head. It feels like a natural conversation that they're having. Yeah. Because the doctor's having to explain the planet and where they are. And, you know, as a, as a fan watching it, I want to know that as well. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And definitely. then just one more very doctor line was um, the doctor saying about Androzani Major becoming uh, becoming developed last time he passed this way. And Perry says, When was that? And he says, Oh, I don't remember. I'm pretty sure it wasn't in the future. And Perry just looks at him and says, You're a very confusing person to be with, doctor. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, I'd be about there as well. The, the doctor mentions as well, doesn't he? Like he he tried to keep a diary once or a journal once. Yes, <laughs> but not but not in chronological order. Yeah. <laughs> so it's very difficult. It, we, the problem with time travel is it can sometimes be quite difficult to find the time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, it was. This was. I mean, we, we, I've had a bit of a nitpick on certain things, but this was a really good. A really good opening episode, and like you say, hell of a cliffhanger. Yeah, yeah, and I'm loving Davidson as the Doctor by this stage. I think this guy is fantastic. It's just the right amount of quirky. He's, mm-hmm. you know, the outfit is, it's good. It's not too out. It's not too outlandish, but it's just enough to make you wait. What he's wearing cricket gear and yeah, and celery. Is that celery? <laughs> and the you know the question marks on his lapels and and stuff like that. Yeah, it's it's decent. Yeah. Episode two, then. I mean, in theory, we're starting the show now, and the Doctor and Perry are dead. In theory, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but of all the of all the things, right? They've told it. We've we've had the setup of the war and what's going on. We know Jack is. We know he makes androids. All of them. Mm-hmm. It might just be me being overtired and a bit thick. I never expected him to have replaced him with androids. That was a really no. cool twist because it just didn't end right. Because when did it happen? I know he's mm. got these cameras and might have secret passages everywhere. When? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It, it's it's brilliantly done, isn't it? Because it's it's a get-out for a situation that, in theory, there is no get-out from. Yeah. it's Which is 
what Doctor Who should be doing. Yeah, and, and, then, and then, but, but then that leads them to having to keep the execution under wraps to save face, mm-hmm. which is yet another sort of ripple in the effect of the Doctor and Perry being there. This guy's got to protect, you know, save face and, and pretend that he's competent, which means when the Doctor pops up later, there's going to be more questions asked. Yeah. And who, you know, who's betraying who, who's working with who, who's just fucking who. <laughs> and, it, and it is really interesting as well. You talk about the, the repercussions of the Doctor being there, and we said it was a bad coincidence that it started all this stuff off. And, you know, the, the, the butterfly effect is something you mentioned as well. The working title of this story before it got renamed The Caves of Androzani was actually Chain Reaction. Oh. So that's that's quite fitting as well. That sort of you know makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? I suppose when you when we watch the episode back and we're having this conversation now, yeah, it really does. Because uh, yeah, that would have that would have been a perfect title. Mm. Yeah, definitely. I mean, basically, we we now know that Doctor and Perry are still alive. Obviously, as Dan explained, they've been swapped out of androids, and they are back at Shara's Jack's lair. And yeah. Jack's all over Perry. He's loving her, isn't he? Boy, it's. Yeah, it's not. It's not good. It's, it's a bit much. A little bit, yeah. You're coming on a bit strong there, fella. Um, mm. Dial it back. A, dial it back several dozen notches. <laughs> I know. I know. Yes. I know you. I know you've. Been, I know you've been wanking on your own in a cave for quite a while. But come on, <laughs> bit, a, bit, a bit of decorum, please. Yeah, when well, you can program them androids to do whatever he wants, I suppose. Yeah. <laughs> Let's move on, shall we? And it, <laughs> And he can make him really realistic as well. Yeah, lazy bastard. Yeah, <laughs> he could have made he could have made a fortune. And also as well, if he can make synthetic faces that look decent, why hasn't he like made himself yeah. a proper like prosthetic? Yeah, why hasn't he sorted himself out? Like, he's running around like I don't know if you know the the guitarist Mike Gray from the band Skin, but he's running around with like black and white face paint like Mike Gray from Skin. No, it's, it's, like, it's a mask. It's a mask. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. And just in black leather, like, I don't even know, you know, he looks like a really kinky version of the the Man with Milk Tray. <laughs> that was not where I expected to go. <laughs> well, he does. Because he I'll be, dressed all in I'll, black. Be, I'll be honest, I thought he looked like a gimpier version of Zodiac from WCW. Oh, yeah, good shout, actually, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's what WCW reference there. Fantastic stuff. Oh, I hate the Zodiac. Yeah, and, and if you want to, if you want to hear more of thoughts on Zodiac, go listen to Nitro Nights with Scottish Danny. Yeah, spoiler alert: they're not pleasant. We hate we hate the Zodiac. <laughs> <laughs> uh, basically, Shara's Jack explains that his plan is to effectively just wait out Morgus. He's going to continue the war, and sort of string it out and string it out and string it out on the basis that then the people of Androzani will rise up in some kind of revolution against Morgus and the president and, yeah. and the people who are in charge. And then from there, Jack himself is in a position of power because he has the main supply of the Spectrox. And it's all this, it's very, it's very gun toting politics all the way through this story, isn't it? There's lots of guns, yeah. there's lots of explosions, there's lots of battles all in these tiny little caves but the bigger picture is it's all about controlling the Spectrox, which means that you then have power and you have money. And it's very, very political, I guess. It is. And it, apart from Jack, who, Shara's Jack, who is in it for revenge as well. Yes, yes. He's in it for the power, but he also wants to fuck over Morgus because Morgus fucked over him, which is fair enough because he effectively left him to be scalded near to death in one of the uh, 
one of the mud eruptions, mm-hmm. which would be very unpleasant. Um, just with with Jack, I feel, I really do feel like they were aiming for a, sci- a sci-fi Phantom of the Opera character. But yeah, I get it, that. it strayed way too far into the creepy side of things. Um, but he, he he had a point with the revenge thing. Not with his creeping on Perry, that was just weird. But with the revenge, you can understand how he got there. And it's just like, yeah, and plus Marcus is a dick, so I would quite like to see him get fucked over. Yeah, he's. I mean, he's. we've spoken before, there's been a couple of characters in our episodes that we've covered in our first season that have no no nice features to them whatsoever. They are genuinely peace. And we're not talking like guys like the master or any, or, or the proper villains. We're talking characters in the show who just have no, n- no pleasantry to them at all. One of them was obviously in the, the Eccleston episode, Dalek. I forget the guy's name now, but the science, the, the, the guy's uh, in the museum, Henry Van Staten. That's it. Van Staten. He was, he was vile. You know, we've had one or two errors as well. This guy, I think fits into that category very yeah. much. So. I think he is horrific. Yeah, he's he's up there with um, with Van Staten. He's up there with the the scientist from the John Pertwee episode whose name escapes me at the moment. Oh yes, yes. Um, he's up there with the uh, the fake military guy from the Sylvester McCoy um, the Sylvester McCoy episode. Who was yeah. They're all just different breeds of dickhead. But no matter what era of classic who you're in, they really need, they really did know how to write a bastard. Yeah, yeah, and you know. It works here because you end up absolutely despising this slimy piece of crap. I mean, on on the note also of Jack, the guy playing Jack, you know, I think does a great job. He he comes across creepy and horrid mm. and you know, very unsettling at times. The role was actually offered to Tim Curry, Mick Jagger, and David Bowie. Wow. Now, the only oh, person, wow. obviously, none of them did it, obviously, but the only person who apparently responded, or, or I can see actually responded, was mm. Bowie's Bowie's management declined on David Bowie's behalf because filming clashed with a tour he was going to be out on. So, book for a uh, book for a, a tour, mm-hmm. we could have had David Bowie as, as Jack in Doctor Who. Yeah, it looks that way. I mean, and the, uh, you think about Labyrinth when David Bowie went on to to portray the Goblin King. Yeah. He was obviously getting into acting and, and, and so on. It's very plausible that Bowie in, again, I suppose we talk about alternative timelines, David Bowie could have been this mud-scarred perv monster. David Bowie would have made a fantastic doctor. Yes, because he's kooky and out there and, yeah, totally. Absolutely. He would have made a brilliant doctor. And I've just I've just gone quickly onto the IMDb for the actor who did play Jack, uh, a fellow called uh, it was a fellow called no, get my teeth in. It was a fellow called Christopher Gable. Shara's Jack was his fifth to last role in acting. Okay, he finished acting in nineteen eighty nine. And I'm just having to scroll back. I don't think he was in, a, in any other Doctor Who episodes. But yeah, he he, he, put, he had a twenty five year acting career. Why? Okay. Ah, there we go. And he could have missed out on this part to David Bowie or Mick Jagger. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's a story to something. I went for the part. I didn't get it, but you want to know who did get it? Yeah, <laughs> that's it. <laughs> uh, eventually, we, we kind of see the scenario that the, the Doctor and Perry have had it explain, explained to them that they're going to die because of this, this, this infection they have from the Spectrox, the raw and mind Spectrox. 
explained yeah. to them by Salatine, who has been captive in the same layer where Perry and the Doctor now are. The antidote is apparently the milk from the Queen Bat, because of course it is. Yeah, why, why not? Yeah, perfectly logical. Um, but do you know what we've not mentioned throughout all of this? Go on. The, open, the opening scene of episode one, some um, some soldiers or gun runners, I forget which, were attacked by a giant dragon-looking Power Rangers monster. Oh, yeah. And it looked like shit, didn't it? I went in, as I did with everyone, willing to give it a chance and, you know, it's of its time and, and all the rest of it. That would have looked cheesy and wanky in the 60s. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was, it was... I don't even know what it was meant to be. It was some sort of, like, pig dragon... Maybe I think it was maybe supposed to be a little bit battish, but the wings were always like furled and tucked away. Yeah, and they were terrified of this thing, weren't they? They were like, "Oh, you know, if you encounter it, you're done." And they absolutely tried to shoot it. it. And, yeah, yeah, and just it was just not good. I'm assuming it's meant to be one of the bat creatures, but why was it just walking around? Mm. I mean, obviously they does... can't, you know, they can't make it fly, but it was just, th- this is the thing that they never tied up, that they never, that we wasn't, if I wanted one thing explained and, and tied up and rounded off, it's what that fucking thing was. Because yeah. you, they showed you it lurking and they had the really creepy, like camera angles where you can't quite see what it is, but you know it's dangerous, that the fear in the eyes of whoever and then, you know, the gunfire, like you say, but you never find out what it is. The doctor never encounters it. The doctor doesn't have to like just get by it and, you know, as an obstacle. It never bothers him. It never shows up after the second second or third time. Yeah, and then it gets killed off. Oh yeah. Yeah. Because what, 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 what I remember about it being dead is obviously when it's stood up, it's got this big mouth that's open and this long tongue that is sticking out. And that mm. makes sense. But it, when it's stood up and it's walking towards I mean, don't get wrong, it still looks like shit, but it makes sense with the way that the tongue is and so on. When it's dead, it's obvious that this is all one plastic mould. Because when it's dead, its tongue is still stuck straight up in the air when it's dead on its back. <laughs> yeah, rigor mortis doesn't set in that quick. No. Rigor mortis of the tongue. <laughs> well, rigor mortis affects the muscles and the tongue is just a muscle, so... Yeah, I suppose. It would, it would happen. It's as, as ineffective as that was, something really effective, I thought, at the start of episode two was the... Um, uh, the gun runners, when you see uh, Stotts and uh, Kepler, or Krepler, whatever he is, mm-hmm. and Krepler's demanding pay, and it was supposed to be a two-day job and all the rest of it, and, and Stotts just grabs hold of him, put, puts a knife to his throat, forces him to the ledge, forces him to this ledge, and makes him eat a suicide pill. Yeah. But it turns out it's a fake, and it was just to teach him a lesson and to know his place. That was like that caught me off guard. I was like, wow. Yeah, that got dark quick. Yeah, that, that escalated quickly. But it's just yeah. a, a, a yet another faction and yet another subplot that's going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll touch upon the Gunrunners then, I suppose. The, the, the Gunrunners, basically, the Gunrunners are supposed to be trading weapons for Spectrox with Jack. Right. But the weapons were provided by Morgus. Yes, yes. Who also controls a supply of Spectrox. Wants Jack's Spectrox. Yeah. Because then he has all the Spectrox. And I'm going to see how many more times I can say Spectrox <laughs> till the word Spectrox means nothing to me. Yeah. <laughs> but this is, again, this is how convoluted it gets. It's just nuts. So you've got Jack's, Jack and his androids, mm-hmm. Mor- Morgus and the military. Then you've got the gunrunners. Yep. The gunrunners are unknowingly working 
with Morgus to fund Jack. Mm-hmm. Jack so, has an android in with the military. Yeah, Jack has the infiltrate in Salatine, yeah. Yeah, and then, oh man, it just gets confusing. And then the doctor bundles in and kicks the whole house of cards down. Yeah, and just trashes everything and everyone by just accident, dies. and everyone just dies. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear! I mean, at the end of the, the, this episode here, we do see that monster at the end of episode two. That's kind of one of the aspects of the cliffhanger because the monster's turning up whilst gun runners are, are looking for the spectrox uh, and and so on. So we see it again here as well, but. It doesn't look any better, Dan. It still looks like shit, doesn't it? Let's be honest. <laughs> even, even, and I'd realised I'd completely forgotten about the end of this because I said before that the Doctor didn't have to deal with the monster, but he was actually mm-hmm. in direct peril at the end of this episode. Yeah, but he just kind of... You, you worded it right, though. He just kind of had to sort of dodge around it a bit. He didn't have to do much at all. Yeah, because the, the monster's attacking the mercenaries and the mercenaries yeah. are fighting off and the Doctor just, just pisses off. Because and at this point as well... Um, the real Salatine and Perry have, have got separated because the Doctor... There was a bit where the Doctor looked like he'd been shot in the head, mm. but he wasn't. He was fine. It just grazed him or whatever. So now Perry, after being after they'd been caught by Jack, Perry's now been taken off by Salatine to go back to Chelak, and the real Salatine is now there, but also the Android version is, but they're going to try and use the Android version to misdirect... Jack, <laughs> but the android can use its thermal vision to see heat signatures signatures through walls. Knows that the real Salatine's there, so then it's a double cross on the. Or, I don't know, not a double cross. So then that gets twisted on its head because now Jack knows that they know. God, this is like that Friends episode. Um, it is. You're spot on. <laughs> the, the 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 good Salatine is says to use the bad Salatine to trick Jack. But Jack knows that they're doing this because the bad Salatine has found the good Salatine. Yeah, with his heat vision. Yeah. So they don't know that he knows that they don't know that he knows that they know that he doesn't know that they know. Yeah, the doctor's daughter married the doctor's daughter. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. I guess when you wait to be honest, when you watch it, it's probably I mean it's it's complicated. There's a lot going on. But it's probably not as complicated as we're making it sound. <laughs> it honestly is a lot easier to follow when you just watch it. When you're trying to explain it, it's difficult. Yeah. But when you watch it and all this stuff, all these layers are like slowly revealed. It's just like, oh, wow. Oh, shit. Oh, okay. I get, okay, I get this now. And it, it, it sort of falls into place. But I, like I said, I only finished watching this not even an hour and a half ago. And I'm already just been like, right, so he was there. And it's like... This is like Game of Thrones level betrayal and, and factions turning mm. on factions and spies being in there and, and all sorts. It's very bloody well written. Because yeah. when I was when I was watching it, I didn't feel lost at all. I felt like I knew exactly what was going on. It's only now that I'm trying to trying to sort of reel it back. And I've got to be honest, I'm a guy with a pretty good vocabulary. And contrary to how I present myself sometimes, at least three brain cells to rub together. <laughs> but I'm struggling to get it across and I, I Fear that we're making it sound shitter than it actually is. Yeah, that's the thing because it's not shit. It's good. Yeah, we found a few things to nitpick and, and one thing to absolutely rag on, but it's it's good serial. Yeah, it is. It is. I mean, this episode kind of progresses very quickly with a lot going on, but with not really much to talk about. I suppose. 
we do get a really cool uh, for the I think for the first time in the Classico anyway, we get we actually get a shot of a spacecraft in space yes. like flying through. Yeah, that's that was, smart. I thought that looked good for the time. That was like when I say it felt like a TV version of, of Star Wars effects. I don't mean that as an insult. I mean that as a good thing. Okay. So when because in Star Wars in the original versions you had uh, like which obviously came out in the seven, uh, the first one came out in seventy seven. They had like miniatures essentially, mm-hmm. really detailed miniatures like flying through space, but they didn't feel like miniatures. If you know what I mean. Yeah. Had that same kind of feel, but obviously on a, on, a, on a scaled down. Sort of TV BBC book. budget, sort of. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It, it then gets you know things sort of escalate further. The the doctor is the prisoner of the gun runners by this stage. He's being taken to Androzani Major now, yeah, because that's where the gun runners are heading, and he's on their ship. Um, the one gun runner is working with Morgus, and again, that's another little level there he's talking to Morgus there, but he's got to blindfold the doctor because he doesn't want the doctor to know that he's talking to Morgus. Even though Morgus, well, the gunner doesn't know this, but the doctor's already heard Morgus's voice. Yeah. Yeah. So again, it's another layer there because the doctor knows who this guy is, but Stotts, the gun ringer doesn't know that. <laughs> oh my goodness. And then, uh, Jack, by this stage, we are, we are absolutely butchering this in the best we are way destroying possible. This, aren't we? <laughs> Jack, by this stage, has found it has got Perry again, uh, again. He's, he's yes. just walked in. Yeah, he's just literally just strolled in, picked her up, walked out because he's got all these hidden caves everywhere and hidden passages and so on. And you know, this this big leather clad gimp is apparently virtually invisible to the soldiers as he's walking around the corridors for some reason. So <laughs> he's literally walked in, picked her up, took her back to the lair yet again. Yeah, and this is the this is the episode as well where Morgus kills the president. Yes, it, but he gets him there. He gets him there on the pretense that someone's trying to assassinate him. Yeah, and it's him. Yeah, yeah, because because by killing the president, he effectively becomes in control. He becomes in power, doesn't he? Because he has control of the Spectrox. So he is now all of a sudden a very important person in the the running of. Uh, Andrazani Major and the mining on Andrazani Junior. He's now in charge. He thinks he's going to be this big, almighty, powerful, rich dude. And at the same time, we cut back to the gunrunner's ship, the doctor who has been left in the, I suppose, cockpit, the control room, whatever. Yeah, he's, on he's, his locked, own. he's locked himself in. Yeah, because he's, yeah. he's actually he was he was bound and, and cuffed and whatnot, but he's worked his way free, and then you, he's found this laser to to like free himself to like undo the handcuffs. He manages to get his wrist in the way first. Mm. That's a smooth move. That's something I do. But then I'm <laughs> I'm not a hyper intelligent alien. <laughs> I really, but I really liked that because he's he's not obviously he can't see what he's doing, and he's using this this yeah. this laser thing to cut. It's, cut I, the suppose a, I suppose it's a nice moment of sort of fallibility on the doctor's part. Yeah. But, Still, he thought. I suppose he's under time constraints, but he can't. You know, he can't take the time to be as careful as he'd like. But mm. still, made him look yeah. a bit it. Well, he did. He did. But he eventually, he eventually hijacks the ship, turns it around, and he's going to go back to Andrazani Minor because, in his mind, he has screwed up. He has caused all of these things to happen, and the big issue to him is that Perry is going to die soon from this. Mm this poisoning from the, the cobwebby candy floss stuff. So otherwise otherwise known as Spectrox toxemia. That's right, yes, that 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 terrible disease. And <laughs> he's gonna go back and get the antidote 
for Perry because, mm. again, like we said, the working title chain reaction and you said butterfly effect and so on, the shit hitting the fan and everything going tits up here is all basically because the Doctor's arrived. He's he's effectively his arrival and walking around and getting interfer- in, interfering with stuff has kind of caused a great deal of these issues. Yeah, it has. And, and, but then again, you know, the knock on, again, the knock on effect of, of Perry falling into that, you know, you know, falling into that stuff and the doctor getting her out and being exposed to it as well. A seemingly innocuous thing has had this reaction down the line mm-hmm. that ultimately ends in both of them getting very, like, deathly ill. Yeah. But before the episode ends, we get a bit more, <laughs> a bit more stuff that we're going to, that I'm going to explain badly. Okay. <laughs> because uh, we get a point where, Perry and Jack having this exchange, and he, uh, I think, Jack knows that Chelak wants to get Perry back. So Perry's trying to use that to say, you know, just let me go, just let me go. Perry then informs Jack that they know about the belt plates for the to stop the androids attacking, and that his, you know, his androids aren't going to work, so it's hopeless. So just let her go. And then Jack just says, "Ah, yes, but I've changed the frequency." So the androids are going to work after all. Mm. So they've had this; they just have this back, this real creepy back and forth where, it, and it just ends so hopeless for Perry. And then we've got the Doctor trying to pilot the ship back. The Doctor comes out with a pretty bloody good line, where Stotts threatens to kill him, and the Doctor says it's not a particularly compelling argument as I'm dying already. See this, this here, this is supposed to be the cliffhanger for for, for part three. The Doctor's on the ship. And he says he, he's been a very long time since he's dealt with a manual landing. So this is going to be more like a bit of a crash. Yeah. And he starts, the ship is getting louder and louder. It's rattling, it's shaking. The doctor's visibly stressed as he's trying to pilot this, this rocket into the planet, so to speak. Mm. And I remember this. I don't know if this was from a documentary I watched when I was a kid and they cut this bit, but I've seen this cliffhanger before over and over and over again. Mm. You know, so when I saw it in the context of the story, I was like, man, that is amazing because it's a proper, proper fired up shouty speech. And what I like about it is it's not just all the characters stopping and letting the doctor say what he needs to say, because Mm. as bright as some of those moments can be, it doesn't always fit the situation here. You've got the gun runners, Stotts and so on shouting into the cockpit for the doctor to stop. The doctor has to repeat himself at one stage because Stotts talks over the top of him. And the doctor is effectively saying, I- I've got to go back and do this. I'm not going to let you stop me now. And that's when the music hits. It's such a good cliffhanger yet again. It's fantastic. It really, and the, the, the sort of two out of three, really, because the second cliffhanger was the um, the monster, wasn't it? So we can't really. Plastic tongued dragon thing. Yeah. <laughs> looked, like yeah. the it, looked like they'd nicked it off a, off, a, off a parade float or something like that. Yeah. Oh, that's spot on. <laughs> yeah. That is exactly right. Yeah, oh, but yeah, dear. brilliant, brilliant again. Really, yeah. I, I, I was so happy I could just go straight into the next episode. They just, they just go straight in, mm-hmm. um, and you've got Stotts admitting to Morgus that the Doctor's got away. And at this point, Morgus is still speculating that the Doctor is one of the President's agents. And Chellac initially thought that they were gunrunners. The gunrunners think that they're somebody, somebody else's agent or whatever. And they're just two people who just wandered in. Yeah. But everybody's so paranoid. It's just, it's still, the fact that, that it's then. still going and, nobody, and nobody's twigged. That there, Dan, that is absolutely bang on the money. It's the level of paranoia because everyone has 
double, for want of a better term, double agents, even though they're not spies as such, I suppose. You've got people double crossing each other. You've got people working on one side who are secretly informing on the other. And everyone kind of knows what's going on without having it confirmed. There's a huge level of insecurity and a huge level of paranoia in this this little, I suppose, hive of activity surrounding the Spectrox. And, and it's all very political and backstabbing and so on. And, and it's that level of paranoia is what means that the Doctor and Perry just going, oh, no, we're just here by accident, isn't yeah. believed by anyone on any side. And it just escalates to effectively this, this, this you know, everyone fucking dying. <laughs> but it's kind of, it's it's a little bit a little bit like Inferno in that way. You know, uh, John Perry was saying, I've, I've literally got here by accident. Mm-hmm. I have nothing else. I'm like, you must be a spy. You must be a spy. No, I just I fucked up and I'm here. But this whole political um, fragility, for lack of a better word, and and double cross and 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 you know, sort of espionage and stuff like that, it finally finally comes to a head and Morgus gets fucked over. Yeah, he's got he's got a trow, uh, uh, trimming. It was a name. It was the sort of the, the secretary lady. And you know, he makes a call and he's saying, "Why are you my? Why are you at my desk?" And so I thought I'd put you, you know, I thought I'd continue your traditions. This is on the secure line. So how it effectively so I have to be. And throughout a few sentences of the conversation, she just starts getting bolder and bolder in what she's saying effectively to her boss. And, um, you know, all but telling him to shut the fuck up. Mm-hmm. She put she puts him down wonderfully. I wish I could, I wish I had time to transcribe it. But then she informs him that he's been uh, being charged with 17 counts of criminal activity up to and including murder and, you know, and treason and, and all the rest of it. So but they, they don't have any proof. And Trimming says uh, there's an acting witness against him that's particularly compelling, and it's her. Yeah, just uh, not, not even a side character, someone we've seen twice, three times, yeah. and she's suddenly there. She, it, it's effectively not a betrayal. She's deposing him. She's basically taken control of the whole company. The government have seized all his assets, including his private assets. So he now has nothing except he's flat broke, going. He? Yeah, he's flat broken. He has to go after Jack Spe- uh, Spectrox. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's and it's great. Another because, brilliant twist. Yeah, it is. And it, it, it's excellent because what I suppose has got Morgus into this position of power with the whole backstabbing, double-crossing politics and so on is ultimately what gets him, overturns him. You know, his own actions are going to get used against him. But then somebody who has watched him behave that way as his assistant is using a very similar method to get what she wants. Yeah, hoisted by his own petard. Exactly, mate. Exactly. It's, but the, what I love about this last episode as well is this, everything. Everything is coming to head as it should in the final episode of a serial. But everything that the, where the seeds been planted, like the, the mud bursts, are finally happening. Mm-hmm. Morgus is going down. Jack is finally going to get a resolution, and and also more to the point, we finally see Jack's face. Yeah, it reminded because, me of. A throwback again. You mentioned the Inferno earlier. When we see Jack's face, it looks like he's been to the same body shop as the one zombie in Inferno and put on the same face mask. You know, like the mud mask <laughs> and make your complexion good. It looks similar to that. You know? <laughs> see, I thought it was a step above that, to be honest, because it, it looked good. I, you know, I've, I've watched. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Movie, I've watched a fair few horror movies from the era, from the era, and there was a lot of movie monsters at that at that time, and. and since that don't look as good as as Jack's face, but what I think they did really well was in episode three. I forgot to mention this: Jack's mask comes off in a scuffle, 
but the camera work is so good that you do, and, and the actors' movements are so good that you do you never catch a glimpse, even though you kind of. I don't know about you, but whenever, <laughs> like a lot of things, I go back to Kane in wrestling. Um, when I'm told that somebody's or a character is, is disfigured, yeah, I want to see it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's just human curiosity, isn't it? That's just natural. Yeah, there's this natural compulsion where I'm just like, yeah, but how fucked up is it though? <laughs> like, how, how have they managed to? What what have they used to make this this TV character look so quote unquote grotesque or you know disfigured or whatever? I, I need to see it, and it, this one didn't disappoint for me. I wasn't expecting the world, but mm. I got more than I was more than I was hoping for in terms of how um, just. <laughs> For somebody who had been scalded by like molten mud, that's pretty much spot on for what I'd think. He had, he had quite a manky eye, didn't he? That was a bit grim. If anything, it's amazing that one eye survived. Yeah. Because under extreme heat, your eyes, because your eyes are essentially full of fluid, they boil. That'll have, but yeah. Just yeah, apparently when you when when you're burnt at the stake back in like you know the olden times and the dark ages, one of the most painful things to happen is that you, you, the liquid right that in your eyeballs and so on starts to boil before anything else. Oof, that's that's just a an, an horrific thought. <laughs> yeah, I'm full of those, mate. I'll, I'll keep it up. It's like... <laughs> what, what horrific thoughts. Yeah, totally. <laughs> we, we ultimately. <laughs> Because now we know that Morgus has to has to go and get Jack's Spectrox because he has nothing. He doesn't have two pennies to rub together effectively. He is with Stotts, his gun runner, who has just killed off his whole crew because Yeah. You know, more brutality. Old and why the hell not, I suppose. You know, more for him, I think, was the theory, wasn't it? Yeah, but just more brutality. Also him and him and Kepler or Kelper or whatever whatever it was called. They just clearly didn't like each other right from mm. the start. So he's just taking the opportunity to go, see ya. <laughs> just guns are all dying, yeah. So he's now just, it's just him and Morgus now. And they're heading to Jack's lair. When they arrive, we end up in quite a scrap, don't we? We end up with yeah. everyone just of kind of <laughs> fighting away. And Perry's there, still really ill, and she's burning up. To which, well, well just before they arrive, we have Jack being a really creepy, pervy weirdo again. Under the guise of trying to keep Perry's temperature down, he's got this wet tissue on her head and he keeps stroking her face and trying to hold her hand. And that was that was a bit icky. Yeah, yeah, I didn't like that. But it's the fact that they spend, he spends a lot of time in this serial, does Jack, saying about how he was an observer and an, and an appreciator of beauty mm. and how he, you know, how he used to be beautiful. And stuff mm. like that. And it's just like, yeah, that, the, the police would have things to say. Yeah. My, well, actually, totally. mind, mind you, given some of the revelations about the Met Police recently, maybe they wouldn't. Um, well, but anyway, that's a, that's a completely different issue that I will get into. Here. We can say we can say at the least, Jack is a bit of an icky dude. That's what that's the the, the least we can say. I think. Yes. Yeah. A bit of an icky dude, and the doctor. <sighs> The doctor, I suppose, now he's he's getting along with Jack because the doctor wants to save Perry, which is ultimately what Jack wants as well. So the doctor has departed yeah. down the caves to go and get this bat's milk, which is you know okay. And whilst the doctor's <laughs> absent, that's when 
Stotts and uh, Morgus arrive and we end up with this big fight and the android of the soldier arrives as well and everyone's fighting with each other and everyone kind of kills each other off, don't they? Yeah, um, Stotts shoots Jack, then in turn gets shot by the android uh, Salatine because the original Salatine has been gunned down along with most of the, the armed forces by the yeah. army of androids. So they've effectively We're like killed the last each other. couple of people, aren't we? Yeah, they've effectively killed each other in their own crossfire. Yeah. But it, despite being shot, Jack has the power to, uh, just the sheer rage and, and want for revenge to force Morgus's head into to near this device that fries his brain, maybe? Mm. It's some, it, it looks like a plasma globe. A little bit, yeah. you know, like, you know, when <laughs> you had on your desk in the early two thousands. But that does something, and, and Morgus dies, and then Jack essentially succumbs to his injuries. asks mm. asks the Salatine android to hold him as he dies, and the Sal- the Salatine android just sort of stands there because it's a it's a robot and doesn't have any concept of life and death. Yeah, uh, and that's it. Quite sad. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and you've got it's a weird scene because then the doctor comes running back in because he's he's you know successfully milked a bat or something. And he he's, can, he's just, but there's no oxygen down there, but he, somehow the bats can live, and somehow the doctor can store oxygen within himself for several minutes. It's in his celery. Yeah, why not? Yeah, we'll, we'll just go with that. So the, the doctors then come running back in, and to be honest, I'm surprised he didn't sort of stop for a second and have a little bit more of a thought about what's going on. Cause it, it, imagine that scene, you've just milked a bat, right? And then, and then you, and then you're running into this room and you've got, you've got a guy who used to effectively run the planet dead on the floor with his head in a mush. You've got a soldier who's been shot as well. And then you've got a guy in a leather gimp suit cuddling a robot. Is what is what is what is greeted him when he's walked in the room. There's no, you know, he he doesn't know what's going on. He's walked into. The, I mean, that's some hell of a party he's missed. You know, you've painted a hell of a picture, side Jesus. <laughs> but, but you're not wrong. That's that's the crucial thing. You're not wrong. But also, the doctor realizes that he is very close to death, and Perry's even closer. Mm. So he just has to get her to the TARDIS, get off world, and get the get the antidote. Yeah, which is exactly what he does because all this has been going on while the the planet is effectively erupting. You know, the whole planet's having these mud bursts and it's going to be high tide and all the rest of it. So we get this very dramatic, tense run, essentially. So the Doctor's carrying Perry, running to running for the TARDIS as things are going off and, and all the rest of it. And just, of all the things, he gets to the TARDIS and then he can't get his keys and he nearly drops the bat milk. Yeah. <laughs> he drops Perry. If you look at that scene, he's, he's, Perry's like, I suppose, belly level with him. He's holding her like you would sort of carry your wife over the threshold, as the, as the saying goes, I suppose. He's, he's holding her like this. And then when he gets to the TARDIS, he obviously needs to get his keys out. Yeah. Perry just disappears out of shot. So he's, he's literally just <laughs> I didn't gone. notice that. Boom, off she goes. <laughs> I suppose it's better to have a couple of bruises and, and maybe a concussion than be dead. Mm. I, know, yeah. I know which one I prefer. Well, yeah, very much so. The Doctor does find his keys, and it is true, how often that is, when you're in a hurry, you can never quite get your key out, can you? You know, so I can appreciate have, have you ever, Have you ever tried to open your front door when you're drunk and busting for a piss? I'll be honest, and, you know, I'm kind of glad my wife doesn't listen to this. If I get to a stage where I'm like that, I'll just piss in the hedge. Imagine if you didn't have a hedge. And then, yeah. yeah. You ever try yeah. to find, just, it's impossible. It's really, yeah. I can't imagine when it's life and death. 
Yeah, exactly. A bit more, <laughs> bit more urgent than just wetting your jeans, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Uh, but they get back into the TARDIS. The Doctor um, gives Perry the antidote, this this bat's milk, and she recovers pretty bloody quickly, doesn't she? Yeah, it's a miracle cure. I'm surprised they went back to Andrew's Animator to get some more of it. It's um, all blowing up in mud, though. Yeah, but the bats down. Bat, the bats are that far down that they'd survive, obviously, because yeah, they have done so far. It's but it's it's very it gets very dramatic in it. You know, the doctor essentially feeds her the cure, and he, he lies back as it's finally getting older, and he says, "Is this death?" Mm. But then he still takes the time to speculate on the on the professor that knew his, you know, knew the the antidote and says it contains some sort of anti-vesicant or something like that. Yeah, a real proper he, doctor thing, isn't it? To in yeah. that moment, in that moment of okay. Basically, the doctor explains there's only enough antidote for Perry. It, it, as Perry is now miraculously better, he's explaining to her that there's only enough antidote for her, so he hasn't had any. So, in theory, in their minds, he's about to die from from this disease. But it's still an incredibly geeky Doctor Who thing, a, a proper Doctor mannerism to start talking about how great this other scientist was just when he's ba- basically about to die. I think I think that was a really really fantastic touch. Yeah, it was nice. But then it, he get, again, it goes so, it's so dramatic because I think Perry's fantastic in this scene as well. Mm. He's saying that you know, saying there's only enough for Perry. It's too late for him. He's going soon, and there's there's just enough time to say goodbye. And saying that he might regenerate, he doesn't know. He genuinely doesn't know if the uh, I've forgotten what it's called again. Spectrox. Spectrox. I said it fifteen times in one sentence. I've now forgotten now. <laughs> Jesus fucking bollocks. Um, <laughs> um, he's, saying, he's saying it feels different this time. Yeah. And we get our, f- for this uh, for this series, for this podcast, we get our first regeneration. Yeah. Um, we get all these characters that I don't recognise popping up, saying, you know, with various quotes about the Doctor not dying. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the Master, in the middle of it all, encouraging him to die. Uh, which the whole sort of people popping up and floating around your head and and saying, you know, repeating phrases is a bit of a trope nowadays, but I think this was quite a well-done version of it. I quite enjoyed it, and especially with the inclusion of the Master being so prominent. I thought that yeah. was brilliant. What, you had, nice. um, sorry, oh, sorry, you had, no, no, you're gone. The, the floating heads, you had quite relevant companions as well for that era. You, you basically had Nyssa, who had not long departed the TARDIS. You had... Adric, who was a character who who actually died whilst travelling with the do- with the Doctor, oh, wow. he was there. Uh, Tegan, who is returning in New Who, it's very yeah. very soon. She was the first face to pop up with the Australian accent. That was that was Tegan. Turlo was right. there. So it's all companions of this Doctor, which I thought was quite a nice touch. Yeah, no, fair enough. That makes that makes a lot more sense. I figured that would be what was happening. And it, and it, like I said, it looked great. It was a really good version. Of what looked less great was the uh, the sort of the pink and white zebra stripes that mm. everything faded into before you get essentially Colin Baker waking up in Peter Davison's clothes, which yeah. I always like. That I always like to see the the new Doctor in the old Doctor's clothes, yeah. and then the new Doctor find their wardrobe. That it's always something that that really tickles me because you get a sense of you get a sense of effectively who they are or who the Doctors become from what they pick. Like you see, Christopher Eccleston, he's got a t-shirt, a leather jacket, jeans, mm-hmm. all business. Take no, you know, no shit. Little bit cool when he wants to be. 
all the rest of it. Tenant in his suits, just coolest. Almost a bit too cool to be the doctor, but he made right, it work. Yeah. Matt Smith with the bow tie and stuff like that. You know, he's he's going to be a bit quirky and a bit mad and a bit weird. But I, I suppose that same could be said for a lot of the doctors. Um, but yeah, I always love that. Um, yeah. But he's a dick from the from the word go. Oh, yeah, Colin, totally. Colin Baker. She said, Perry's speechless. Well, sorry, mm-hmm. she says, Doctor. He says, you were expecting someone else. Very, very arrogant and almost looking away from her as he says it and stuff, wasn't he? Yeah, but but then she's she but then she's speechless. And she's like, I I I says three eyes in one breath makes you sound like a rather egotistical young lady. <laughs> to be honest, I kinda laughed at that. <laughs> He's a dick move, but that was that was kind of a good line. Yeah, I was, I think I am just na- I'm just naturally predisposed to hate him at the minute, at the moment, so I was like, ah, fuck you. Um and then she, this and this is what annoyed me. That this has been I really enjoyed all of this, mm-hmm. the vast majority of it up until this point. And they end it. And it's obviously with the benefit of hindsight and having watched Colin Baker. Yeah. And they say, Perry asks what's happened. And he looks at her and he looks at the camera and says, change, my dear. And it seems not a moment too soon. And that was really on the fucking nose of what Mm -hmm. they were going to do. And that was roundly shit on by the amount of people that stopped watching Doctor Who. Yeah. Yeah, very much. It was very much like, it was almost like a, a parting shot to the previous incarnation, wasn't it? You know? Yeah. Oh, yeah. It was. It's. It's. It, you say a parting shot. It's essentially a fuck you. Because mm. Peter Davison's doctor was, and and Colin Baker's just night and day. For even from just what I've seen. No, yeah, Peter Davison. A little bit charming. Obviously, very intelligent. A sprinkling of arrogance that the doctor always needs to have. But ultimately, quite a caring person. And then you get that in Colin Baker. Yeah, yeah, very true. I mean, the story, that's not the end of the season. Normally now, the Doctor regenerates in a special or at the end of a season or so yeah. on. This here, there's actually a, a four-part story that followed on directly from this on the same season. And as BritBox does, it tends to sort of autoplay the next episode. I was finished off my notes and it autoplayed the next episode. So I watched the first 10 minutes and what followed. Yeah, so did I. Okay, so you saw, do you see Colin Baker go in into the back of the TARDIS and start picking out the clothes? Found uh, Troughton's old, uh, yeah, Troughton's old jacket, and, and yeah, Tom Baker's yeah. like suede effort, you know. Yeah, yeah, I thought that was quite cool. Yeah, I did, I did like that bit. The bits where Colin Baker isn't talking are quite good. Um. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Um, with regards to the regeneration, then. <sighs> It's kind of been this this regeneration's kind of been ruined for me, not just because of Colin Baker, but mm. because of something I saw. And again, I mentioned earlier on about seeing the, the cliffhanger of the doctor in, in, in the ship yelling, You can't stop me now. And I, I swear it's from a documentary or or something recapping old who or whatever. I can't tell you what it is, but I swear mm. it's from something I've seen from there. Now also in that the same thing, there was a collection of talking heads. So whether it was Peter Davison, Colin Baker, what, talking to the camera about the stories and I suppose what you might get in DVD extras now, but this yeah. was done very much like a documentary about Doctor Who and, and the, the programme in general. I, I, again, that's what I remember. I could be remembering it wrong, got a bit of a Mandela effect here, but this is the situation. Now, when Baker 
and Davidson have the regeneration scene. It's been ruined for me, and I believe it's been ruined for me by Peter Davidson. All right. Because he sits there in this this documentary, this this videotape I may have seen or special, whatever it was. We'll call it a documentary just for the sake of this conversation, but I'm not even sure it was. He sits there and he says that that scene was very special to him, very special to Perry. And this is Davidson's favourite Doctor Who story he took part in. And obviously it's his farewell scene. So he's, he's trying to give a big performance. He's passing away. He's emotional. He might be regenerating and, and all this sort of stuff. And then in a jokey term, he points out, the problem is my performance gets completely overshadowed because all you can see on screen is Perry's boobs. Now, I, I honestly, you won't, nobody will believe me. I didn't notice. Right. Now, this is the thing. I never did either. But now, now that's been pointed out to you, you go back and watch that regeneration scene. Right. <sighs> and, and it is literally, she because she's lent over the doctor in a certain way, it, it, all you see is boobs. That's it. Done. So that regeneration, to me now, is the regeneration of boobs. Oh, God. I'm 99% certain it's Peter Davidson himself. He pointed that out to me. So, you know, on one hand, thanks, Pete. On the other hand, that's that regeneration ruined because I can't focus on anything else just because that's that's that, you know? There's a joke there about you managing to focus on two things at once in that scene. Well, potentially, yes. Yeah. <laughs> but there but you we go. Will go there. Oh man, that's that's yeah, quite yeah. funny. Um, I'm glad I, I'm glad I watched that before you mentioned it. Yes, yes. But. So that's that then. That effectively concludes the caves of Androzani and our TV look back for season one of the Doctor Who pod. Your overall thoughts, Dan, my friend. Your overall thoughts of this Peter Davison story. Really enjoyed it. Uh, it was very good. Um, Obviously, I don't have the nostalgia connection that a lot of other fans do, mm-hmm. so I, it, it doesn't strike me as upper echelon of great in sort of my watching of Doctor Who. But then I'm new who focused, so it's it's maybe not gonna. It's definitely one of the better ones that we've watched. I think I'd have to go back and have a proper think on how to rank all the episodes that we've that we've covered. Okay. But this is. Definitely, they're definitely one that I enjoyed, and in fact, I actually I think I picked I picked the right one to not have a lot of time to make notes right. because um, it meant I watched it much less segmented than I normally would, and I think that lent itself to me enjoying it more. Yeah, um, it really really clever story, really well written. Again, a couple of things that we've been that we've had to shit on because they, they were bad, like the, the creature that never got explained and, and look, looked awful. But overall, really enjoyable time. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I really, really enjoyed this. And I think with regards to classic Who stories, this is one of the better ones we have seen. I, I thought it was great. And I think anyone listening to the podcast who has not seen this before, or even if you have seen this before, it's well worth going back and watching again. Don't take how Dan and I have tried to explain the episode as gospel, we've made it far more complicated <laughs> than it actually is. I mean, it's a complex story. You've got to pay attention, but it's worth the complexity for the swerves and the turns as, as the serial develops. But it's not as complicated as Dan and I make out in any way, shape or form. It's an easier watch than it is a listen. And I just hope that our butchering of the story has been entertaining. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, you mentioned there about potentially 
thinking about where you place different stories and so on. I actually had an idea yesterday I was going to message you about uh, outside of recording, but I might as well do it right now and just drop it on you for next week. Uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll exclude the movie because obviously next week is going to be what we're going to be. The movie is what we're going to be reviewing. But I thought maybe now we've had our first season of looking at one story per doctor it, at the end of next week's episode, the last episode of season one, why don't we give a little countdown, personal countdown from you and, and from me of New Who and Classic Who in the order that we preferred these stories from our least favourite right down to our first favourite. Yeah, I like that. An end of season um, award show, if you like. Yeah, just, just <laughs> rank them from favourite to, you know, obviously from Colin Baker down, I'm going to guess. We have... <laughs> no, 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 it's, it's Colin, Colin Baker up. <laughs> okay, well, I, I'm going like count down so you know number one is last if you know what i mean <laughs> See, I'm, I'm, viewing colin, I'm viewing the colin baker episode as not even rock bottom there's rock bottom 50 feet of shit and then the then the colin baker episode see it, it, it i think it is going to be you know the, the worst option on my list but even that weren't that bad yeah was uh, it there's a lot of things there's a lot of things i'd have a lot of worse a lot worse time watching yeah okay ah so but there we go so we'll have a little bit of fun next week. We'll, we'll, we'll review the Doctor Who movie. Bit of a bumper episode next week then for our for our last episode of season one. We're going to review the Doctor Who movie. First time I will have ever seen this. And we'll also give a rundown of where we rank each selection of Classic Who from myself, New Who from Dan, from our first season of the Doctor Who pod. So yeah, a bumper episode next week. Could be a bit of fun. Hope everyone tunes in. Dan, before we depart, do you want to let everybody know whereabouts they can find you online? Yeah, you can find me at Dan Griffin 21 usually tweeting about wrestling that's six weeks out of date or movies that are 25 years out of date. Uh, you can hear me on Unbooking the Territory, uh, where myself and UTT Rob go through the first and last of professional wrestling. Uh, we're online at UTT Podcast. We also have a side project from that called Unbooking the Tankatory, where we look at the life and times and career in WCW of Tank Abbott. Uh, it's a niche within a niche within a niche, but we have a lot of fun giving it a bit of a rundown and, uh, and having a laugh uh, discussing some of the utter insanity that that man had to go through. Uh, that's uh, So that's available on all podcast platforms and we're online at UTT Tank. Great stuff, mate. Great stuff. You can find me on Twitter at SJP Words or you can find me on Facebook. There's a group there and that is SJP All The Shows and Info. And from those two main, I suppose, contact points, you can find links to everything I'm involved in, any any bits of wrestling commentary, any any articles I've done, uh, but mainly the podcasts I'm involved in. We have Nitro Nights that Dan mentioned earlier on, looking back at WCW one show at a time. The Waiting Room podcast, which we're you know, flying into season two now, looking back at Quantum Leap one show at a time, comes out every Friday morning with our good friend, Mr. Benny Mack. Uh, Chain Wrestling as well, where this week as a guest host, you'll hear Dan's dulcet tones live on the <laughs> Monday night. And then come Wednesday, the podcast version coming out via Radio Techers there. And obviously, and most importantly, we have The Doctor Who Pod. You can find that on Twitter and Facebook, at The Doctor Who Pod. That's at The D-R-W-H-O-P-O-D, at The Doctor Who Pod. But again, at SJP Words on Twitter for links to me and all of my shows. Dan, I know we're, I know we're doing a season two, and I know we're planning that already, and we've got some exciting stuff in the pipeline. But knowing that next week's our last episode of season one, I, I feel a bit sad, mate. I'm excited, but at the same time, it's, it's like, you know, oh, it's coming to an end, you know? Yeah, it's the end of an era, but I, f- I felt this I felt this way when we came to the end of season one of UTT. 
it's it's all it's sad that it's coming to an end, but I'm really glad it happened. Yeah, and it's been a hell of a ride. And quite for, to be quite honest, I like that it's got that it's had a fixed run. If anybody wants to check it out, you know you've got a set amount. You know exactly what you're in for, how much time it's going to take, and then we can do something similar but different next season. Yeah, it's just going to be great to fiddle with the format, fiddle with the uh, just. Just give everything a tweak, see what works. This, I think this yeah. is, I've really enjoyed doing this. It's been a great start to to what's hopefully going to be a good few seasons of us just having a laugh and, and chatting about this mad mad man in a blue box that we or mad mad person in a blue box that we know. Of. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And make sure you do join us next week for our season finale, looking at the Doctor Who movie and potentially and then, the last episode if someone yeah. hits it. <laughs> <laughs> looking at the Doctor Who movie and then Dan and I ranking everything we've looked at in season one. I think it's going to be a really really good show. Dan, looking forward to what well, I was going to say speaking to you next week, but I'll be speaking to you literally this time tomorrow live via Radio Techers, Twitch and YouTube for Chain Wrestling. I will see you in slightly less than 24 hours, mate. Looking forward to it. No problem. And as always, to everybody else, thank you for listening. Bye-bye. Andrazani, uh, I'm going to get this wrong all the way through this episode, by the way. Andrazani uh, Minor. I thought you were trying to, I thought you were talking about an ex-Man United player, Adnan Yanazai. No, hang on. <laughs> <coughs> I will try that again. Andrazani Minor. But that is a different show. That is a different time. This is the Doctor Who pod, and this is looking at travelling free time. And look at that! What a segue that was. That was good, wasn't it? That, that was that was tidy. I, was, I didn't. I didn't even. I've not practiced that. That just literally just came to me. You're 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 savant. And I've fucking ruined it now by saying how great I am. If I just if I just kept on talking, that'd have been smooth. Well, what the thing is, this sort of stuff happens so very rarely. We've got to give ourselves a little pat on the back, don't we? Yeah, I might cut all this bit out and just stick it in the outtakes at the end, so I still sound good on the actual show. You'll. <laughs> I will forget you completely right. <laughs> yes, as mentioned when we first started the show, they're being hired by Jack to steal Spectrox from no. Magnus. There's nobody called Magnus. Sorry, not Magnus. <laughs> the, the, the gun runners are, basically, the gun runners are supposed to be trading weapons for Spectrox with Jack. the movie kind of in between that's a generous viewpoint to be fair because most people look at it as the uh, as sort of the the unwanted like I was going to say bastard child but that's maybe a bit harsh it's like you know you know when you were a kid in, in, or like in the 90s when people had like would lay a buffet on and there'd always be like the pineapple and cheese 
yeah. on my cocktail sticks, and people will always eat the cheese and leave the pineapple. No. Oh, Are that, you serious? Just another thing. That's what, I, to, that's, what I, that's what my family always did. So where you're from, people would eat the cheese and leave the pineapple? It could just be a thing in my family, but yeah, I mean, See, I, want cheese, here, I don't want the pineapple. And, Danny, and me and my family, especially me and my sister, we'd eat the pineapple leave the cheese. Freaks. No, mate, you're doing that wrong. What, in what in what universe is pineapple better than cheese? Well, no, I'm not saying it's better than cheese. I'm just saying... Don't well, get why wrong, would you quite, leave the cheese? Well, quite often I'd eat the pineapple and the cheese, but if I left one, it would be the cheese. You can have cheese anytime, can't you? You, don't you have can pineapple. have pineapple anytime. It comes in yeah, a tin. But, yeah, but you don't get pineapple as often as you get cheese, do you? But you could if you wanted to. Yeah, I suppose. This isn't very Doctor Who-ish. We should probably cut this out, too. <laughs> No, I'm having an argument with you now. Fuck it, we're falling out. <laughs> we're never going to get to watch the movie because you choose pineapple over cheese. You no, I didn't say I choose. I didn't say I choose pineapple. I bet you put pizza. it. I bet you put it on pizza as well, don't you? Well, pineapple. Yeah, but a cheeseless pineapple pizza. No, no I, I, I would eat pineapple on pizza. Yes, but it's not something I would choose to to put on there if I was picking my own toppings. I'm going on a mags level food rant now. I'm going to start getting pissed off at bubbly chocolate next. <laughs> Uh, no, I, love I, you, I, I love a bit of pineapple, mate. I love a bit of pineapple. I quite love cheese as well, so you know. So you this go. discussion's pointless. Let's uh, let's move on. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, the, exactly. The, 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 a, lot, 